Lori Marini, the host of Conversations with Courageous Cancer Warriors, is my guest on this episode. She was diagnosed in June 2017 at the age of 41 with stage 2 invasive ductal carcinoma and DCIS. Lori worked as a tumor expert and was working with metastatic breast cancer patients when she received her own diagnosis. She talked about not only her treatments, but also the emotional toll that cancer takes, the importance of mindset and gratitude, and becoming a coach to help others navigate through their own diagnosis. Take a listen in as Lori shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining me on my podcast. Oh, I am so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about your story. Um, so in the intro, I kind of explained that you were 41 at the time of your diagnosis. So were you doing a self-exam? Were you going for mammograms? Like how did everything happen for you? Oh, for me, you know, I'm not conventional. So when I turned 40 and I was at my primary care physician, she's like, okay, Laura, it's time. It's time for you to get a mammogram. And, you know, we weren't really super concerned about it because I have no family history. Um, and I did self-exams often. You know, um, a key point for me is that I'm actually a provider. So I work in pathology. I was working in pathology for 20 years. I'm a PA and path. So I knew, like, what to do. And I was, like, really good about being compliant. But what happened was um, when I went to my primary care and she was like, okay, you need to schedule a mammogram this year. You haven't had a baseline. I was like, absolutely. I'm going to do it. And I had just started a new job, ironically enough, working with metastatic breast cancer patients that I was so busy. I never scheduled oh my gosh. that an initial mammogram. So when I turned 41 and I went back to the same PCP, my first thing that I said to her that came out of my mouth was, I am so sorry. I like <laughs> thought she was going to yell at me, right? I'm so sorry. I didn't go for my mammogram, but I promise you, I promise you I'm going to go. I'm going to make it happen. And she's like, Lori, they just changed the guidelines to 45. You're good. You just bought yourself another four years. Oh, wow. And I was like, huh. And like, it's not something that I had heard of. And I was kind of like, you know, cancer is my world, right? Like I'm a tumor expert. This is what I've been doing my whole life. So I'm kind of like, well, I don't know how comfortable I feel with that. So we went through the entire exam. She gave me a self-exam. And then about two weeks later, um, I had a, I had a dream. I had a dream. I was riddled with cancer in my dream. Oh my gosh. So I called up my friend, my bestie. And I was like, I gotta go get that mammogram. I just had this crazy dream. I don't know what's going on, but I'm scared. And so I'm like, can you please hold me to account? So that same day of my dream, I got on the phone. I called the, you know, radiology office. I set up my initial baseline. They had an appointment the next day. Like, as we all know, that never happens. Yeah, seriously. So I was like, like very rare. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, okay. So I show up. I get my baseline done. 
they give me a call. They're like, we need you to come back. And I'm like, not thinking anything of it because I'm like, I know I have, I know I have dense breasts. Okay. I know it's a very common thing for them to get need a second screening. Um, usually I would think, yeah, I would. So just kind of your background, I would think that, you know, anytime that next call happens, that those of you who work within that field would be like, uh, something's up, but I guess it could realistically be either way. Um, yeah, we see it often, you know, and that's what I work with all day long is, you know, I use the radiographs to perform my job. Right. So, I wasn't too concerned because I knew like if the mammogram that sometimes they can miss stuff, you know, if it's super dense breasts, women also will do well with an ultrasound if there's like a potential areas of concern, but it doesn't mean anything, right? Like it doesn't mean that if they ask you back for repeated imaging that there's actually something. So I walked in there being like, what's going on? Right. And I was on the table for about, they repeated my mammograms and they did like the 3d contrast dye with them. And I was kind of like, okay, like that was like, and you know, for people who may not be familiar, the 3d contrast actually shows blood flow. So the way that it works for tumors is that the more increased blood supply means like the more activity that's going on in that. So I was kind of like, well, that's interesting that they want to do that, but I didn't think anything of it. And then they brought me to the ultrasound machine. And by the time I was on image 65, and they were in my lymph nodes, I'm like, okay, we okay, have wait. a problem. Image 65? 65. Because <laughs> I was looking at them and I know what I'm looking at, right? And I'm yeah. like, they are me- they're measuring my lymph nodes. I'm like, what the hell is going on is literally what I was thinking. And then like, you know, when you're on the table and they have like those um, colorful um, lights above you. Mm-hmm. So I had the thought of, okay, I know why they have these now is to kind of like make me forget about what they're doing to me. And then I was like, okay, so I clearly have something going on. So I was like writing my will talking about that. I was going to move from where I'm living. Like I had my whole life, my whole future planned out. Oh my and gosh. Nobody, nobody had yet like said anything to me about what's going on. I just knew because I was like, very familiar with the imaging. And if I was someone that wasn't aware, you know, of, of what they were doing, it could have went two ways. I could have been like totally oblivious and not thought anything of it, or I literally would have been freaking out, Right. you know? Um, and so then, you know, the radiologist comes in, they're like, okay, great. We need to get you in for a biopsy. And I was like, that same day, they wanted me to come back. I believe the next day. And I was like, well, what's going on? And she was just like, nobody was saying anything to me. They had yet to say, you know what? You have cancer. And I was like, I need to hear this. Like, you need to tell me. Because what are you doing? Well, and I, like, I kind of get it because I know that they, like, they have to test the tissue. Right. But at the same time, like, I feel like there has to be a little bit more information that's given. Like, it's just, we're, we're sitting there just hanging in the balance of like, we know something's not right, but nobody's really communicating to us what it is that they think isn't right. And so maybe just, um, you know, just give us, just, just ask, like, what information would you like? You know what I mean? Because not everybody wants that information, but just, you know, what, what questions can I answer for you right now? I can't tell you that it's cancer, but we do have 
some concerns that maybe it is. Right. Absolutely. And nobody was giving me that. Like Mm -hmm. I was, I spent half of a day in that place and nobody said a word to me. And I was like, you know, I'm used to being on the other side of the table. So it was really surprising to me. I'm like, what do you mean? Nobody's telling me anything like what's going on. So the following day I went in for my biopsy and I have to tell you as a provider, we are awful patients. (laughs) (laughs) We're awful. I was awful. I was nervous. I was, I knew what I was, what was about to happen to me. And I was just terrible. Um, so if the staff ever hears me, I am so sorry, (laughs) but, um, you know, it was one of those things that it was a teaching facility and I, I love teaching facilities. I think we could learn a lot from them, but like having taught residents and doing all that, I was a jerk and I'll admit it where I was like, I don't want extra passes. I don't want a non-attending touching me. Like I literally said to them, I'm like, you need to do this and you need to do this fast. Okay. Look, I don't want. Fair enough. Look, look, here is my thing. And I say this every single time that somebody brings up a biopsy. Biopsy is my trigger point. Like that is of all the things that I had gone through. Biopsy was probably it. I mean, it ranks definitely within the top five, um, you know, of worst things. So if somebody had asked me, like, can we do an extra pass? That would be like a very stern. Hell no. Back up. Like, no. Mm Mm-mm. So, so it, pro- it probably wasn't my wisest moment because here I am, I'm kind of getting into like a little heated argument with the attending because she's just like, you know, you're at a teaching facility, right? Don't care. And then, and like, the, you know, no, <laughs> my, sorry. Ita- my, my Italian started to come out where I'm like, and I've also worked at teaching facilities for the past 20 years and I know my rights and I know I don't have to have a resident work on me. And she just looked at me like, oh my, get her out of here. Yeah. No, look, this is not the same. Like, I am all grateful for the teaching facilities. You know, most of my um, treatment was also at a teaching facility. However, Mm -hmm. if I had to, like, it is not the same thing as a teaching facility for a massage therapist or a hairstylist. Like, no, you know, no, I'm sorry. Mm -mm. No. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for making me feel better. You are not an awful patient. (laughs) I still like cringe every now and again. It was the right thing to do for me at the time. And I know it. But I still kind of cringe because I don't ever want to be like mean or or disrespectful to people. But yeah, so um, long story short, my biopsy came back. um, Well, even before I had my results, the first phone call I made was to my boss. He, you know, ironically enough, I believe that the universe puts you exactly where they need to Mm -hmm. put you um, at the time that you need to be there. Um, So now it's, I don't fight anything in life anymore. I just literally go with the flow. I was working at a academic center um, in Connecticut because that's where I grew up. And I had been through the Boston system um, before that. And Boston kept calling me back. I had, I turned down the job three times and they kept being like, Laura, you should come and work here. And I'm like, why are they asking me to go there? Like they could get anybody in the world. Like, this is crazy. So I had one of those moments where I'm like, universe, I don't know why you want me to go back to Boston, but I'm going to do it. I'm just going to take the leap of faith and I'm going to do it. And a year later, I'm working for a world-renowned breast oncologist wow. who, I am, who I am calling and I'm like, we have a problem. And he's like, he was amazing and I f- will forever be grateful to him. But he was like, Lori, your biopsies haven't come back yet. He's like, you don't know. And I was like, no, I know. 
I'm like, I looked at the tissue, like it's what I do. I know there's cancer in there. And he was like, well, you don't know for certain. I'm like, I'm like, this is what I do all day. You know, part of what my job was, was to go take samples um, for clinical trials and submit cancer tissue, known cancer tissue without examining it for the clinical trial. Right. So for genomic studies and is one of those things that like I, I taught myself throughout the years, like a really pinpointing what was normal, uninvolved parenchyma and what was cancerous tissue. Sure. Yeah. And, and so when my biopsies came out, the first thing I did was like, I want to see them. And I knew when I looked at them, I'm like, okay, this is really something. Um, so I made the call to my boss and I'm like, look, like, this is what I got going on. And he, he was just really great. He supported me in getting all of my care set up, but, um, my biopsies came back as infiltrative ductal. Um, and I also had DCIS, which meant that I needed to go back and have, um, that was on my left side. And so then I needed to go and have my right side, um, also biopsied, um, And I, at that moment, like I was telling them the second I knew, like even before I knew I had DCIS, I'm like, I told myself if I was ever going to be in this position, I would automatically go with a bilateral regardless of what I had going on. Mm. And they're like, Lori, you're being too aggressive. Like relax. Like I'm like, no. And my biopsies came back, you know, with DCIS and it's pretty standard of care to go in and, and have a bilateral done when you have um, right. known infiltrative with DCIS. So who so actually called you to tell you that you had cancer? I mean, here you're working in a medical facility. You know, I'm sure you know a number of these people. Um, yeah. So who actually called you to, to share that information? Well, they told me before my biopsy um, that, so now in hindsight, I could kind of see why they didn't want to tell me because I had four masses on my left side. Wow. And one of them was greater than two centimeters, which is like the upstage factor, right? Like it's, it's known if your tumor is greater than two, then you have a higher incidence of reoccurrence and invasion. Right. And so I think they were just all a little bit shocked as to how I presented because I had no family history um, and here I am sitting with four lesions on my baseline, right? Right. And, and I think, all coming from a dream. Yeah. I mean, and, really. And <laughs> and they knew, like, I was one of them, right? So they were kind of like, oh, no, right? You know, I was part of their family. So um, I think everybody was a little bit in shock, just like I was. Um, and it wasn't until I, because I had access to the system, um, and some people might you know, argue this, but I did look up my own, um, biopsy results. I did, you know, also I mean, speak I would, to a you know, <laughs> and it's like, it, it's one of those things that they, um, they actually say it's against HIPAA for you to do that really? because they don't, they don't want patients to go in there just because you have access to your own records. Like if you freak out because of what you saw, um, they want to be able to still have that conversation with you and like support you through finding out. So okay. even as an employee, we're really not supposed to go into our records, but I'm like, you know what? I already knew what was going on. I just needed to know. And I was, I, I swore to myself that I'd be fine with whatever presented itself. So and were I, made you? A conscious decision. I was, really? I was like, okay. Okay. I was like, okay, this is what we need to do. Right. And that's the crazy part about my journey is that I just went through the motions of it all. Right. I just kind of went through, um, Every step, every step I needed to do, I just went through it. And then it was 
the thing that surprised me the most was the emotional part. Right. I'm, I'm three years out and I finally feel like I'm okay. Right. Well, I was, and I, so I talk vulture. a lot. Yeah. And I talk a lot, um, you know, to, to people about just the, you know, you're not the only one that just went through the motions. I mean, there were the number of people that I have talked to that were just like, I put my head down and I just went through, um, you know, I didn't feel anything. I didn't, you know, process anything. Like there are many, many people out there that have done that same thing. Um, you know, and then there are people who are on the opposite side of that. And then I think there are people who are in the middle and it's okay to be wherever you are. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's really easy to become just completely disconnected sometimes between what is going on within our physical body and then the emotional part of it. And then eventually things start to catch up so that everything is back, you know, kind of reconnected, if you will. And I think that's when things start to, um, you know, kind of, kind of come together. And that emotional part shows up a little bit more. Yeah. And for me, I had, um, it it was definitely a survival mode Yeah, because I still needed to return to work. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's it's your livelihood, of course, you know, we don't have the luxury of not working for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, maybe some do, but I wish, right. (laughs) So here I am, I'm trying to heal myself. And I'm still dealing with metastatic patients. Yeah. yeah. I, it was, it was really difficult mentally I, for me. Honestly, I can't, um, I, I can't even begin to imagine um, how hard that must have been. It was, it, I felt like I was, I was going to manifest it, right? Like I believe in, in manifesting and, and all yeah. of that. And I was like, I really put a shield up where I'm like, it doesn't mean that this is going to be me, but you know, by this point I had my pathology back you know, it showed lymphovascular invasion. Like I was, you know, I, I, I almost knew too much. Right. And that's why, that's why I became a a coach. Right. It's what I do for people. It's like, they, they give me their reports and I'm like, okay, this is what this means. And this is what that means. And I'm not going to give you advice on how to proceed. I'm just going to give you information. So you're more knowledgeable. Right. But absolutely. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. But it was one of those things that I'm like, this, like, I know, I know the pathway. Like I know what it could be for me. And it was, it was really hard. That was probably the hardest for me. Right. So did you end up doing the bilateral mastectomy? I did. Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting, um, expanders put in. Okay. And it was one of those things I had about a week and a half to make a decision as to what I wanted to do. Wow. Did I want to freeze? Did I want to freeze my eggs? Like, do I want kids? And I'm like, what do you mean? Do I want kids? Right? Like we didn't know how it was going to go. So they were asking me all these questions that I just wasn't prepared for. Sure. So now, so now when I talk to people, I'm like, if you're of a certain age, I'm like, no, like, and you haven't, especially because I haven't had children. So that was a huge concern. Um, that eventually down the line, I would, that they're like, you need to think about it and you need to plan for it now. If you think you want children anytime in the future, then we need to freeze your eggs and we need to do all of that before we even schedule surgery for you. And were you with your boyfriend at the time? You know, (laughs) I've known my boyfriend for 20 years, but we didn't start dating till maybe, maybe six months before. Okay. So well, we the only, were really, really new. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the really the only reason I ask is because um, 
you know, like when you're, when you're in a relationship and it's a new relationship, you know, like everybody just, I don't know, everybody, maybe it's better, but there's this assumption that by the time you're 30, you're going to be married and settled down and blah, blah, blah. And not everybody is, um, you know, and not everybody's in a relationship. So it's really hard to make those decisions when, you know, you're in a fresh relationship or you're not even in a relationship. Like those are things where you're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I went back and I just talked to my friends. I talked to my support system. I was surprised. The other thing that surprised me was how little I wanted to talk to people about what I had going on. Like I really got into my shell. Um, People that were really close to me didn't even know what I had going on. I had a selected few people and I had a conversation with one of them where I'm like, they want to know if whether or not I want kids, like, this is crazy. And like, I, um, and he said something to me. He's like, come on, you're such a go-getter. You get everything that you want in life. And you mean to tell me that you think that you want children when you're 41 right now, you have every op- opportunity to do it and you never have. Like, do you think that right now you're really going to want kids when you're 45, when you're 50? He's like, come on. And he was my voice of reason because it's the truth. But in the moment when they're taking the choice away from you. 100%. You're like, no, I want that. (laughs) Like, no, I didn't want that. But you know, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, it because it's it's like the finality of it, right? Like, I mean, and and we can certainly touch on like whether or not you've had a hysterectomy and oophorectomy. But you know, I will tell you that that specific thing was the one thing that I struggled with the longest. Was when do I when do I just give in to the fact that I don't have a choice anymore. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we could definitely get into that because that's where I am now, right? Okay. Outside of even just the decision of having kids, um, part of my treatment is tamoxifen. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've talked about it at, in some detail, but so I've been uh, three years out. I've been on tamoxifen now and it's just, it's not the drug. We just do not have a good relationship, tamoxifen and I, <laughs> we, we, you know, I want to break up with it daily. Yeah. Um, and so I gave my body a break and honestly, it was one of those things that I'm like, okay, this is final. Like I'm willing to take on whatever happens. Um, and so I gave myself a two month break and then I did a Dutch test for myself Um, and my Dutch test showed my estrogen hormones going in the completely wrong direction of where I needed them to go. So what is a Dutch test? So a Dutch test is a hormone level test. It's a, it's a urine test that you take in specific times of your cycle. And so it could, it could read your sex hormones, but it could also read your adrenal hormones. And as you know, like your adrenal hormones can feed into your sex hormones too. So the reading of what was going on in my body was not as ideal as I wanted it to be. And like my adrenals are shot. Um, I am literally, I think I'm producing like 149 of cortisone and I'm like generating like 32 of cortisol. Right. And it's like, that's your fight or flight. Yeah. And I'm, and it should be like a thousand. Right. So I'm like, my adrenals are, 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 are cooked and my ovaries are, out of control. So at the moment I'm like, I have two choices. I can either go back on tamoxifen and know that I'm at least giving it a fair shot, or I probably really need to have my ovaries taken out. And the thought of me right now going through another surgery 
um, I just can't even be with it. So did you, so you, obviously you had the mastectomy. I'm just trying to process, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, information. So you had the mastectomy, you had expanders placed in. So that meant that mm-hmm. you would have reconstruction. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and then who knows? I mean, did you have any kind of failed reconstruction or? Yep. So then I had to go back in for another, another surgery because the um, cancer side had such minimal tissue left over that we want, you know, that's exactly what we want that um, the, the area that they had available for my actual implant was too small. So my implant like failed it popped out in a way it went it dropped too much so I needed to have a revision then um I'm still you know I still have um numbness like in my axillary areas Mm -hmm. from all of the lymph nodes that they took out I was I'm still having limitations physically from my mastectomy so I'm like am I really gonna sit through another surgery right now right and did you do (laughs) any did you do radiation or chemotherapy you know uh, it's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is no, I did not have to do it. Okay. The curse is the mental part of, Absolutely. you know, the, the guilt of not having had gone through it. And two, it's like, well, maybe I should have gone through it. Maybe there's some circulating tumor cells in there. Like, you know, like right. I've never had an imaging. I've never had an MRI and I've never, I haven't had blood work in probably a year and a half. So I'm okay, sitting I'm just going to say this real quick. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Get it done. <laughs> oh yeah, I have an appointment. Set. I so I switched my oncologist because I moved, but I um I already have it set up for September, and I okay. I told them I'm like, no, I need to have this yes. done, yes. and they're like, well, we'll see. I'm like, no, no, don't see me. Don't take me on as a patient unless you're willing to do this because yeah. I need to have this done. And here's the thing: yeah. is if they come back and they say, no, we are not going to do any of these scans, or we're not going to do this, or we're not going to do that, you have the choice to go and find somebody different. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, sorry, I did not mean to derail the conversation too much, but I was kind of just trying to figure out, cause I know, um, you know, sometimes with radiation, there's complications from that with mm-hmm. implants and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is really hard. And I think one of the things that people don't genuinely understand is this isn't typically a one and done. Right. Right. Where, you know, a lot of people have this idea in their head that, oh, you know, it's just you're going to get bigger boobs or you're going to get a tummy tuck or you're going to get this or you're going to get that. And, you know, they try to glamorize it. And I and I know that it's well intended. And I think part of it is to make themselves feel better about it, Um, Mm -hmm. because I'll be honest for anybody that's listening, it does not make somebody diagnosed with breast cancer feel better about it. So stop saying it. Um, so I, I've literally had everything said to me, oh, well, just on the bright side, you'll get big, you'll get better boobs or no. um, uh, T-shirts that said my boobs try to kill me. Like, don't give those out too soon. Um, I got those probably like three months after my diagnosis. And I, I literally, I don't even know what the T-shirt is because I was so like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just like, you know, I also, I didn't have the time to really think about what it meant to get implants and how that process would work. Um, and I, you know, I went back and forth on the decision. I didn't know. And I was just like, you know what, I'd rather get it done and have them taken out than not have them at all initially and then regret it. 
So I, I went for it, but it was really, that was the most painful part of the process for me. It was really difficult. It was hard. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, it's, it's not, you know, a walk in the park for everybody. There are some people who, you know, fly right through that reconstructive process, um, amazingly well. And then there are some of us who, you know, it is repeated surgery after repeated surgery after Mm -hmm. repeated surgery, and it is not fun. Um, right. You know, so I, I, um, you know, I can understand why, you know, you're sitting here at this point and thinking, you know, I don't, I don't even want to think about having another surgery. Yeah. You know, I mean, just the, the physical and the emotional toll that that takes on somebody is, you know, more than enough than to actually, um, I mean, just the, the whole process behind that and, um, the preparation and, and, you know, when you're removing your ovaries and your you know, the uterus and everything, fallopian tubes, like that's a, it's final and that's hard. That's a hard decision. Yeah, no, it, it is. And so I'm not taking it lightly. And I, I figured I was going to set myself up powerfully, give myself the time and just get back into a relationship with my boyfriend that I shouldn't call tamoxifen. <laughs> so I got, I, I started that again and um, I'm very grateful that this is not a video chat because <laughs> I woke up this morning. So tamoxifen for me makes me bruise very easily. And I did something within the past few days that I, I literally have a black eye right now and I don't know how it happened. Yeah. And I was like so nervous to be like, oh my goodness, is it going to be video? People are going to think that I'm getting beaten at home. Oh no. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's just some oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I had, um, I don't know what it was quite honestly, if it was the radiation or if it was the tamoxifen, I started both at the same time. So it's really hard to tell, but I bruised the same way. Like I have a yeah. photo of my leg where it just looks like somebody took, you know, a stick or, you know, something and just repeatedly hit me, um, with it. So I get it. Yeah. I get yeah. it. it. Yeah. It's not pretty. It's no. Not pretty and, at all. You know, and my boyfriend is, he's so concerned that people are going to think oh, that he's no. doing something. I, <laughs> like, I first of all, terrible. we have cover up, honey. We have cover up. Girls have cover up. <laughs> Um, and at another point in time, like in my other life, you know, that would have been called an unidentified beer injury, but you know, now it's an unidentified tamoxifen injury. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Not the same UTI as we expect. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So, you know, is there, so did you, I, I didn't get to ask you this. Did you end up freezing your eggs or what was your I decision? Didn't. Okay. No, I decided not to. Um, I mean, it kind of sounded like that was the decision that you had made because you're, you know, you had that conversation with your friend, but I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, I decided not to, but I think it's something that people should really be aware of um, and to start thinking about because it was, it really caught me off guard. I never would have thought it right. And, And I worked with in oncology for 20 years, right? Like, so I, I was surprised that I was surprised by something. Not that I'm saying that I know everything, but it was something that never even crossed my radar. I didn't even think about it for once of what patients would go through, you know, um, systemically with their treatments. Right. Yeah. Along that line. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a lot all at once and you know, exactly what you said. Like sometimes it is, you have a week to decide. And for some people, depending on, what the stage is, they don't even have a week to decide. Yeah. Like right. it is, it is like 
you know, I've, I've talked to some who it was like, no, we have to go right now. Like you have, you have two hours yeah, to get, and, you know, make a decision. Oh, and yeah. And it's just so hard. It it's is. hard. It is. So, um, well, is there anything, um, you know, it, for you, like, you know, I'm 13 years out at this point. Um, you know, I always, I always give big props to those people who are, you know, really what I consider still so early out of their diagnosis. Not that any of this is truly ever done, but you're, I mean, three years ago really is, is still super early. And I give major props to, you know, those of you who, um, you know, are giving back in a way. And I know that you're doing that through your podcast. Um, and so is there anything that you would offer to our listeners in terms of, um, you know, advice or the biggest lesson that you learned or anything like that? Um, yeah, it's twofold. One, it's okay to be your own advocate, right? Like if you don't understand something, if you don't like what something, you know, the way that things are going, speak up, like your doctors are there to support you, but they're not there to control you is a good way to put it right. Like you have do your research if you have time. Otherwise, get get in contact with somebody you trust that could be able to support you. Um, you know, honestly, that's what I do a lot for people is like, I, I just get on the phone with them and I'm like, this is what this means. And try not to sugarcoat it and try to let people know like what are potential options. Um, so definitely be informed. Um, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be angry. You're going to be sad. Like you're going to go through all the emotions. It's, it's, it's really a grieving process mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you go through all of that where you kind of lose your innocence. Um, you know, so, and allow yourself to do that, allow yourself to be okay with where you are. And if, and if the people in your life won't let you be where you are, then like, find another group of people, join, join a support group, join people who will understand and will just allow you to just let it out because you need to get it out. Um, and then just find the gratitude. Like for me, keeping a positive mindset, like I found the humor in it all. Right. Yeah. Like I, my best memory is right before my bilateral surgery, my I I had this big, huge, like stern German plastic surgeon guy, right? Like who, like, even before I went into the surgery, I'm like, doc, what size are we doing here? Like, I told you I wanted to be like an A, right? Maybe a small B. And he's like, Laura, we'll see when we get in there, what looks best. Mind you, I ended up with like a big C, almost a D, just so everybody knows, right? (laughs) And I'm like, this is not what we talked about, but it, it does look good anyways. But when we, um, I was sitting there, he was marking me up right before my surgery. And, um, he said to me, I looked at him straight on. I'm like, doc, I don't want to do this. He's like, I know you don't. I'm like, but if I'm going to do this, you better make them perky. They better look amazing. (laughs) And he looked at me like, Oh my God, like nobody had ever said that to him before. And his response was, I'm going to make them perky and they're going to stay that way. And so literally we were laughing as they were rolling me into surgery. Right. So like, Whatever you need to do to just find the fun in it, because none of this is fun. None Mm-mm. of us want to go through it. No. But your mindset speaks to how um, 
how quickly you'll be able to overcome things. Yeah. Right. If you, if you could find the fun in it, if you could find the laughter in it, do it. it yeah. It's really, it, cause you can't control any of it. And I think that that's like as humans, what we try to do. And then we just really implode because we're trying to control something we can't control. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And if somebody is interested, um, say they have a report and they would like some help just turn, trying to figure out what that information means, um, mm -hmm. you know, where can, where can people reach you? Oh yeah. Um, and I'm happy to do that. Um, my website is lorimarini.com. So it's L O R I M A R.com. Um, also they could email me the information, my email, I have my phone number, um, is all available on my website. I'm also on Facebook, um, Lori Marini coaching, and I have a Facebook group, um, that is specifically for, um, cancer patients only, not caregivers. I want to create a really safe space and we have a great group of people who have gone through something similar. And so it's a really open dialogue. Um, so they could also find me there if they feel comfortable talking about what they're going through in front of other people. Otherwise I'm happy to provide one-on-one -on -one as well. Great. Wonderful. Well, I want to say thank you. Um, first of all, for having me on your podcast, um, and oh, in return, <laughs> um, coming onto my podcast, uh, our stories are, are very similar and, uh, you know, I just, I enjoy talking to you. So again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This was truly an honor for me to have you on my podcast, but for me to be here today and be able to share my story. I hope it makes a difference. I have no doubt that it will. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.